Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Judith Fallon-Reed and welcome to Shelf Life TV, where I have great conversations with Caribbean authors about their lives and books. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com. Also, check out my other podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now it's time to share what's on my shelf. The show where we talk about books, we have conversations with Caribbean authors, poets, and more. And this week on Shelf Life, I'm having a conversation with somebody I'm honored to call my friend, Fabian Thomas. He's a transformational trainer, a life and corporate coach, motivational speaker, actor, singer, dancer, and the creator of Tribe Sankofa. Fabian and I met in the poetry circles in the early 2000s, and we instantly became friends, but our friendship really got tight when we started Independent Voices Literary Fair in 2010, I think it was. And the only voice I could imagine on that stage as MC was Fabian Thomas. Since then, we have shared many, many stages as poets, and he's also a part of the Jamaica Poets Tour, the school tour that goes to colleges and schools all over Jamaica every year. Here's my chance to sit down with Fabian and talk about him, what drives him, and his work. Hi, Fabian. Welcome to Shelf Life. So good to see you. What you been doing this COVID time? You know, I'm giving thanks. I, I, I keep saying to people, in the COVIDity of it all, I'm grateful. Some, some rough patches, you know, loss of income, you know, time with yourself, feeling, adjusting to this new norm, but there's so many powerful resonances and spaces to contemplate and recreate and reframe. So I'm grateful. I'm really, it is un, unprecedented, unlike anything we've ever seen. I think it took a while for us to adjust to that. And some people still are, because it's this, you know, what do I do with this? What does this mean? Um, but amidst it all, I'm grateful for the lessons and the possibilities. Yes, and you know, for us creative people, the possibilities really are endless. We just had to learn how to adjust learn how to pivot as they to use a good buzzword um, how to pivot into this situation and make it work for us and so here we are on zoom having a perfectly good conversation that we would have had face to face anyway and, and yes. it's really good but i'm very happy to have you on shelf life because you have a work um new thought new word and i want to talk about that but before we get to there you know, a little, I told everybody a little bit about our origins, that we go back to the days of independent voices, which I so miss and so yeah. loved having you on independent voices. What was that for you in terms of, did that really help you in any way to propel you forward, being a part of independent voices? It definitely did in, I'm going to say in two ways, just the whole experience of bringing independent writers together that this was a thing, that this was possible, that you did not have to be published, you did not have to know how you're going to get published, that you could self-publish, was I think something you put firmly in my reality. Good. And not just because you had done it, but because of what Independent Voices was and the people who came out, it was like, this is a real actual thing. That's <laughs> yes. possible. And, and we're going to do it again. You that. Yes. And the other thing is I say, you know, some people, when you meet them, your soul recognizes them. Ah, uh, I like that. 
even though you may not have met them on the human plane before. Wow. And you are one of those people. My soul recognized you. Wow. And this I said, this I is know why this. you are transformational coach. <laughs> <laughs> I know this woman. My soul knows her because you, your warmth and your graciousness but also that you're like a warrior. You, when you when you get something done, you but you do it with such grace and you pull people in. Oh. And again, when, when you do that, without sometimes even realizing, you create possibilities for other people. Because you start to say, well, if Judith can do all of this, if she and Michael can find time in them life, if we do this, what, what can I do? And I thank you for that. So my soul recognized you and I said, this lady and I are kindred souls. Uh, thank you so much for that. It, it's always good to know that we are making a difference and you do very much the same, very, very much the same with all the work that you do. And I've watched you grow over the years and I'm so proud to call you my friend. But before we actually get into the book itself, your passion for, for what you do, your passion for people, for changing lives, where did that come from? Is that something that your parents taught you or you, is that something just inside of you or somebody influenced you in? It's a mixture of things. I believe everybody comes to do our work, all of us. Mm -hmm. We get a spiritual assignment to do our work. And I think part of our life's journey is to find out what that is. Mm. And several things to do. And I think when you find it, there's no feeling like it. And if you're lucky, your life and your, your upbringing prepares you for that. Oh. And so my parents were very, I was born in England. Oh, okay. Parents, so you're British. Mm -hmm. My parents were very clear. We're not from here and they don't want us here. And we don't want to be here. We are going back how we are. <laughs> so as a child in England, I hear about Milo and Cockroach and Brown's Hogs, where my mother is from. And then we, they came back when I was seven. So this sense of belonging somewhere distinct impacted me, imprinted me from then. My father's always also very kind of activist and conscious. So the idea about thought and rights and, and, mm. and belonging and black power and black consciousness was something that my father instilled in me. He also, the, the, the conversation, my family, we always sat and had dinner together, not just on weekends. So the art of having conversation, even when you live next with each other, <laughs> was a real thing for me. Then I'm going to say school. Um, between Calabar High School and the University of the West Indies, I'm glad Spirit nudged me and said, pay attention to these teachers that you have. So when I was young at Calabar, I don't think some of the impact hit me. In fact, I'm just writing my third book now. I finished. Ah. So, my so a teacher of mine who taught me literature mm -hmm. the one who gifted me with the idea of using my voice as an instrument. Because whenever the top two grades, she'd make us read them out loud in class. Ah. And she said, you know, it sounds better when you read it out loud, I'm giving you five more percent. So this <laughs> idea of performing, but also, you know, high school and being on the magazine committee and student council and the food, that sense of community and people and in university, I just had this array of teachers who were teaching me life, not just lessons. So, you know, when you have Agri Brown, Dan Anderson, Leonie Forbes, Faye Ellington, Margaret Newland, Catherine Shields, Victor Chang, Mervyn Morris, Carolyn Cooper, I mean, I, you can't really pay for that, you know. 
And then I had theater that embraced me at an early age, you know, when I touched stage in my first production at Ewing, and theater people again. So this sense of community and nurturing people and watching how people functioned. I had the blessing of working with Miss Lou when she came back to re-record some stuff. And I kept saying, Miss Lou taught us not just culture and language, but how to be a good person. Miss Lou looked you dead in your eye. She spoke to you like there was nobody else in the room or in the world. And her warmth, and I drank that stuff in, and I think it translated to how I show up in the world. Wow. Yes, it, it really does make a difference. And you talked about your literature teacher. And I remember when I published mm -hmm. my first novel, not my first book, but my first novel, I actually went back to Montego Bay and did an event. To, and I invited Mrs. Pearson to come to that event mm -hmm. because she did something for me that no other teacher had done that made such a difference in my life. And what she did was she gave me a C on an essay. Mm. That was needed becks because nowhere am I supposed to get a C because I can't do maths, but I can write. So, yes. I, so I went to her and I was quite upset. My Mrs. Pearson, how could you give me a C? You know, this was, this was good work. And she said, yes, but it was not your A work. Hey. She said to me, if so-and-so had brought this, they may have gotten an A. But this is not your A work. If you want mm. an A, you need to go back, rewrite it, and give me your A work. Yeah. And that changed my entire writing life. Dr. Chang did that to me at UA. Dr. Chang, you know me, if I, if I egg me in the red, so I rush and throw the essay together. And he had a way, when he was handing out the essays in tutorial, you know, say your man not so good if him keep your essay till last. <laughs> him hand out and the car gave up the essay to him come by the chair and him say, um, so you were conscious when you handed this in? <laughs> so I said, yes, Dr. Chang. And him said, and you, you intentionally, it was your intention to give me this? Yes, Dr. Chan. Well, you said, tell you what, I'm giving you back. You don't have the shame. <laughs> and there's something to me I've never forgotten, Judith. He said to me, never intentionally hand in substandard work. Wow. And that's what she did for me, too. He said, ask for an extension. I might run you. But do not hand in work you know is beneath you. Wow. Ask for an extension. And he gave it back to me. He said, take it and go fix it. You have until three o'clock. And I did. And to. I got my aid. Mm -hmm. he, he said, I'm not accepting this from you. And he said, teacher, people who show up in your life like that, mm -hmm. they, they imprint you because you kind of get the sense of, oh, okay, then. Yes. <laughs> there's a standard, and there's my standard that I should not fall below. And that's very, very important. It's very, very, very important. So let's talk about your book. New Word, New Thought. New, wow. right? new Thought, New, new word. Thought, New Word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's talk about New Thought, you know, New Word. In, because it's in, kind of a mixture of poetry yes. and verses and gratitude verses. And I want to talk oh, about one story in particular. Right? You talk about... Uh, your dad, new thought yes. for my dad. And in a country and in a world where so many fathers are absent or they're not, they're, they may be physically present, but not spiritually or emotionally present yes. in the lives of their children. 
tell us about that particular story and why you decided to share something so intimate with the world in your book. Well, I, you know, the whole book was a journey because it's that thing of, you know, again, you, put, you have all these writings. Yes. And literally, I had a folder on my laptop named Fabianisms of things I'm saying, workshops, you know, essays and things that are put together. And in a conversation with Carol Beckford, we're talking about um, intellectual property and creating and creativity. And she said, you, for instance, I see you on Smile Jamaica all the time. You're one of my favorite guests because you make sense. You keep it real. She said, how it works, them tell you the topic and you say how you're going to discuss it, right? I said, yeah. She said, if you were to go back to them and get all the episodes you've done, you'd have a book. Mm. How many things you said or wrote down that you, have, that you do? And I thought, hmm. And the fabulism folder popped into my head. <laughs> a week later, I went to the folder and I said, if I were doing a book, what would be in it? And I started to pull things out in a new folder that named the book. Because it never had no title yet. <laughs> went back a week later, fine-tuned, added things. That's so why I could add things. And in about two weeks, I had what's in the book now. Ah. The daddy story. The daddy story had been written before. And it's, as you said, I, if anybody had told me I would have the relationship I had with my father, now I would say never in a million years. Wow. Wow. Because we did not get along. Problematic. And him learning and me learning and me having to say, this man is my father. Good, bad, and indifferent. And then the spaces of grace when he made himself vulnerable, mm -hmm. when there was connectivity, sometimes that was completely unexpected because my father, when we were growing up, was not demonstrative at all. Uh, one of those where, you know, you, you just provide, but you're not supposed to provide emotional. My father provide fiercely because, you know, they came back from England. They wanted their own house. My father, it, it, that, I think my sense of com community comes from that as well. Before my parents had a car, my daddy would, daddy would come home first and then we'd start cooking, walk to the bus stop and meet my mother and then walk home. When he came back to Jamaica, he took his mother and father to live with us. Okay. Um, my, my grandfather, when my grandfather fell, um, you know, I used to pack his overnight bag and you know the Harlick's buckle? Yes, man. So I used to put his condensed milk in that and when I was unpacking the bag one day, it was broken. Okay. And I said, Grandpa, what happened? And he said, oh, I did fall. And he had a thing on his head. And my father marched straight up to him and work and tell him, say, I'm not coming back. Wow. So he was this provider and protector. But the demonstrativeness came later. And I drank it up like a tonic and said, okay, let me put my, my, the issues and the fights and the disagreements you had aside and open this door to meet my father anew. And let me tell you, Judith, it is the most, well, as he's gotten older, very demonstrative, tell the same love, we, my cry, my sister's right here, they say, daddy keeps crying. I say, who's father? Which daddy? <laughs> and so I said, you know, I have to capture this, I have to write this down. And then I said, you know, when I was putting the book together, I said, I had to embrace a new thought about my father. Yes, and I, here, that's what it was. Here's the beautiful thing, he, my father, is so proud of the story. He loves it. It is a beautiful story. He loves it. It is my favorite story. Yeah, he, and a lot and, of people, that, that and the one, um, Joel McDonald, the, the lady Joel McDonald, the one where I walk home in the grocery center when I was broke, yes. she called the Damascus Walk. Yes. So she said that and the other one. A lot of people, 
as you said, because there's such a thing around fatherhood and black fatherhood. Yes. Not Jamaica, but all over. And, you know, again, it's slavery, the separation. Yes. We have to reintroduce. I have an essay called Reframing the Narrative of Black Fatherhood. Okay, interesting. You know, you know, Let me stick a pin right there because for me, it was an interesting essay because I've seen it, but I didn't live it. My father was an ever-present father. You know, mm -hmm. my father was was the father or the don of fathers, <laughs> you know. He was strong, disciplined, um, provider, but also very emotionally available, uh, available in every way to his children. It was the most, he was really like super dad. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember my father was one of those who carry you go everywhere, pick you up from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's party, you're going him carrying you, I'm going to wake up and come get you. And because he just had this thing that nobody now kill you off a road. Thank you. So, you know, it was a really great read for me because I have friends who had that kind of relationship that you had with their fathers. Mm -hmm. And you really brought it out really, really wonderfully. But I want to move on though. I want to talk about tribes and Kofa before we run out of time. And I want you to give me Yele. So if you can give me Yele, because Yele is oh, my... Want Yele? <laughs> And here's how Yele came. You know, I was really heartbroken when people were talking about that the Haitian earthquake. People said, yes, them wicked. God. And I thought, really? And in my head, I kept thinking, oh, no, understand the location of Haiti in history, in black culture and history. And I was, I think it was at something when, 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 when Clement and Howie used to say something. And I performed and I was sitting by the bar and Yele, the beginnings of Yele came to me. So this is, uh, and the subtitle in the book is New Thought for a Nation, Yele. Mother Earth rumbled in response to the words heaped upon you. Epithets added as if part of your name, poorest nation, cursed by God, voodoo capital, Satan worshippers. She churned, remembering the forgotten bookman and Louvatil, first independent nation in Latin America, bondage repugnant, Irritant to your spirit, toxin rejected by your blood, you, punished with two Duvaliers, Tonton Macout, a hundred years of reparations to France. She coughed, choking on injustice, aftermath of embargoes and deforestation, gasoline necktie stuck in her craw. She heaved, shattering limbs, took a deep breath, inhaling buildings, leveling the land, belching off the bile. Mother Earth shifted. When she settled, the smell of death hung thick everywhere. Then hope rose resolute. Memories were jogged. The indefatigable Haitian spirit sprang up from amidst the rubble and danced shouting, Yele! 11, 14, 17 days buried yet alive. We will not go quietly into the night. With amputated limbs, broken hearts and homes, we will not give up. Do you know who we are? Egalite, first black republic in the world. Yele, we are Haiti. We shall rise again. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So I'm, I have the additional blessing of having a, a voicing of this by Leonie Forbes, wow. which is going to be in the audio book. Very exciting. Oh, that's very exciting. So, as you talk about audiobook and Leonie Forbes, 
you know, we know you as actor and singer and dancer and all of that. And very quickly, let us just, because I'm going to show some Tribes and Kofa and I want the time to show that. So tell me about Tribes and Kofa. Tell, tell my audience about Tribes and Kofa. What is that? How it came about? And real quickly, what it is you do? Tribes and Kofa is a blessing and a gift from spirit and the ancestors. I've always wanted a group. And in 2012, I formed a group called Tribes and Kofa. That's a performing arts collective, but for me, it's also a tribe. It's a healing space and a nurturing space. Because I'm as concerned about who we are off stage as who we are on stage. sand, guided by the rumors of moonlights, shadowing a past once remembered. It is you, relentless rhythm maker, firmly sequestered between the strong legs of the Jendepola. That speak a language unscripted, untamable, that isolates our pain, savagely splintering it, releasing our chains, teaching us the path to freedom, teaching us to love again. It is you, Jimbe I wanted a space where people can be authentic, stand in their truth, be seen, be naked, broken, and beloved. And for the space and the work and the art we do to heal and transform people. And we're known for spoken word, but we also, we, I call us an all-inclusive company. We act, we sing, we dance, we do everything. I have a new dispensation, you know, people come and go. And one of the biggest blessings is to have former tribe tribers say, boy, sir, this has changed my life. People who they are foreign and because of technology say, sir, don't take not any group in them, it's still in a tribe. I imagine Nanny unhinging her jaw, reaching inside her chest, grasping the Jamaican flag, pulling it through her throat, unfurled, perfect. Snapping her mandible back in place, I see her holding our flag high above her wrapped head, silently mouthing, free. And it's echoing across the island to the top of Blue Mountain Peak, rolling down into all the rivers, making the water sweet, crystal clear. Two score and ten, half a century of independence with various degrees of vengeance. About 200 years after, Catanine shredded brown flesh, then salt applied for good measure. When rats stretched flayed limbs, racking dark bodies with agony, a time of customary bloodletting, blood shed like water, reddened earth and air, and in my head, from the spots where droplets and gushes scattered, flowers sprang up hungrily with plasma red, bulbous blossoms emitting pungent perfume pervading the air those who inhaled it became truculent insisting on ravenous for freedom to be independent so we have people who are still people who have left who come back and do work with us and covid again the lessons we have been meeting online zoom google nice. meet you name it audition four or five new members in covid and we're about to do our very first virtual season okay. which i'm really excited about and then we're also included in Kingston Creatives, and we're very excited about that. So it's, it's new for us, shooting the work. But here's the other thing, Judy, there are no accidents, because we've always wanted to do this, to right. start to record our work like mini films. Brilliant. So this was a dry run for us, so there are no accidents. There are and we're no on, we're accidents. On Instagram, we're on Facebook, Tribe Sankofa.
Brilliant. There are no accidents. It's not an accident that you and I met in the same space. As you said, our souls met in a different, different space and time. So great talking to you, Fabian, as always. And I look out for more from Tribes and Kofi. I enjoy your performances. I enjoy listening to you. And I'm looking out for the next book, which when it come out, will bring you back on shelf life again. Thank you so much for your Thank time. Thank you. Blessings. Blessings. Welcome. Thank you for watching Shelf Life. I'll see you again next week with some more of whatever is on the shelf when we'll be talking to a different author. Follow me on Facebook. Check out my website for more information on my books, my radio and TV shows. And I'll see you again next week. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. The video of this interview is available on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Visit my website at jfallonreed.com and you can download your copy of my free audiobook, Time and Seasons. And remember to subscribe to my other podcast, Exchanging Pain for Praise.